Anybody want my picture? I can autograph it for you if you like. <laughs> I'll auction it off at the end of the service. So if you were here last week, you may have remembered I, I told you I worked in a department called human resources in the corporate world. Now, that's not usually two words a lot of people like to hear. However, one of the things that I did, uh, one of the many, many tasks that I was charged with in human resources over, my, over the course of about 10 years or so was conducting what we call new hire orientation. Now, I won't do that with you all today because I don't want to put you to sleep. One of the things that we discussed that was really important to the company and the organization was kind of discussing the, the company handbook, discussing all the relevant policies that were applicable to everybody who worked in the location. And this handbook and these policies were critical because what it did is it set a, a standard for everybody to follow. And, and when they didn't follow that standard, that means they were kind of, as we talked about with the kids seconds ago, they're kind of going outside the lines a little bit. And what ended up happening is if they didn't follow those standards, they were disciplined for it. And over time, if they were disciplined enough, their employment was eventually terminated. Right, that's the fun part of HR that, uh, that I had to deal with on a regular basis. But after going over all these policies and procedures, we talk through it. We make sure there's understanding. We, we ask questions for clarity, all those kind of things. And then they, what they do at the end of that is they sign the policies. And they sign an acknowledgment of the handbook. And that way we can hold them accountable for these actions if they choose not to follow them. And obviously these policies and these procedures are, are intended to keep order. It's all about keeping order, processes in place, so that way everybody's on that same page and they're all moving in the same direction. It's better for the organization, it's better for the individual departments. And you think about that and then you look at laws, you look at other types of rules that are in place, it's all for the same purpose. It's all to make sure everybody's doing the same thing. And a lot of times we see that it's, it's for the good of the organization, it's for the good of, of the safety of the people, and so forth. And I think you'll see that when we're going to speak about today in these Ten Commandments and these laws, and this is that section of, the real fun section of Exodus where we're going to start talking about these laws, you're going to see that these laws are very similar in that respect. You're going to see that hopefully throughout the day and throughout this series. Um, so those, these laws are no different than what we see outside of the church. So we're, we're in Exodus, as we stated. We're in this book. We've been in this book for several weeks now since we started the year. Uh, this morning, we're in 19 and 20. And if you, you're familiar, and as I stated already, we're going to be in this section that introduces and starts these Ten Commandments. Now, these Ten Commandments were, were a set of laws uh, that the Lord gave to the people of Israel. And because this book... Is, is part of what we call the law. A lot of New Testament Christians don't really think that it's very applicable to what we're living in today. So I'm going to argue here that the law is, in fact, relevant for us today. And, and hopefully throughout the sermon, and we'll kind of come back to that, that argument a little bit later, you'll see that it is indeed um, relevant, and we'll show that a little bit later in the message. But I think it's important to understand what the purpose was of this law particularly for the people of that time. So the true purpose of the law in its very simplest form was to allow and to, for God to separate Israel from other nations. It was a way for him to say, to set them apart and to make them holy. So this part is what we're going to see hopefully today. We're going to see that throughout this sermon. What I want to do is I want to start with 19 
read through the first six verses of that, and we're going to use that to kind of set up the rest of our time this morning. So uh, verse 1 of chapter 19. On the third new moon after the people left Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Then they set out from Rephidim, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called out to him out of the mountain and said, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out for myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So I want to dive right in. And here's our main idea for the day. And this is kind of what we're going to base our whole sermon off of this morning. Because God is holy, we are to be holy. Because God is holy, we are to be holy. This idea of holiness and this term holy literally means to be set apart. It just means to be set apart for God's purpose. So God, what he wants from his people is he wants them to be different than the others. He wants his people to be different than everyone else. So I want you to think about that in today's culture. In today's culture, God says that Christians are not supposed to be like the world. Christians are to be different and be identifiably different than the rest of the world. It says that we should not be changing our core beliefs based off of what the world's standards are. Because what the world's doing is they're celebrating what the Bible defines definitively as sin. They're openly celebrating these things. If you don't believe me, Google Sam Smith and Grammys, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It's celebrated, celebrated, celebrated. And, and the Bible definitively says that these are sinful behaviors, these are sinful lifestyles, and this is what God desires for us to be set apart from. Sadly, there are many Christians, so-called Christians, there are many so-called churches that do the same thing, and we want to be set apart from that. They, they support these things, they tolerate these things because they don't want to be targeted by the world. But God says you need to be set apart. So Christians today, just like Israel then, were called to be set apart. They were called to be holy before God. And we're supposed to act differently because we're now acting as his ambassadors here on earth. And that's what he's tasked us with. So with that said, there's really two main things that we'll see in our text today. Yeah, we're going to see what uh, the holiness of God. And then we're going to see what it takes for you and I to be holy. And that's what we're going to see in these chapters today. So first thing we do here and first thing I want to do is identify God's holiness. So let's go ahead and take a look at God's holiness. He does this in his actions. He does this through what he does for the people here. And the first thing we see is another reminder that he delivered the people from Egypt. And I know you've heard this probably every single week since the first of the year. And there's a reason for that. It's very important, and it's a very important time and, and, and event that happened in the history of Israel. So we see this as a qualifier when we read verse 4 a few moments ago, and later in verse 2 of chapter 20, we'll see that this is a qualifier for this law. So this event, it gave them freedom. This event gave them freedom from the bondage of slavery, and because of this, the Lord expects from them a changed heart. And it's no different for you and I today. 
And that's one of the primary purposes of the Ten Commandments and the laws that follow. And we're going to obviously review that shortly. Next thing we see in the, the, that the Lord's holiness is that he has claimed his people. The Lord has claimed his people. And I, I was thinking about that this, this week, and this phrase kept coming to my brain. I'm like, well, think about that. Only a holy God can claim a people and make them holy. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can do that. Only a holy God can make and set a people apart to be holy. And in verse 5, the Lord reminds him that I did this. He reminds them I did this. And what he's almost doing here is kind of reestablishing that covenant with them once again. And here, just like we've seen throughout the book, they need to have a response to that covenant. And that's what we'll see here. And they have to respond to God's instruction in their life. So God claimed them, and he says that he claimed them as, as his treasure possession, and he declared them holy. He declared them to be holy and to be a holy nation. And then finally here we see that God, his holiness is directed, and he does this by directing worship. So here we see that he directs their worship. So he, he, he shows us how, and he shows them how they are to worship. Let's pick this up in, in verse 9, and we'll kind of see what he says here and how he does that. Verse 9 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever, when Moses told the words of all people to the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set the limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds along with a the blast, they shall come up to the mountain." So God kind of establishes this order of how they're going to worship him in this particular moment. We see a few things here. We see that God says, I'm going to come to you. And then we see that God is going to call the people to him. And then we see that God reminds them that he is holy and that they are separated from him. And this is where the early church, the early Christians had such an issue because what they were doing, and, and Paul continuously addressed this in his letters, but what they were doing is they were holding on to the law as the way to be set apart. They were holding on to the law as the way to earn their place in God's presence. And what, what we need to recognize and what Paul was trying to help them recognize is that God is saying, listen, I'm the actor here. You are the recipient of this free gift that I'm giving. And that's what we see here. And, and this is something that we see, I think it was in Galatians, that the law itself does not do. It does not give them freedom. It does not give them life. So earlier I said that um, the law helps us to kind of see our sin. The law helps us to see what is sinful. Another way, another thing that we see that the law does here is it also helps us to understand how we are to be holy how we're going to be holy, and that's kind of something that we see from the law, and that's what we'll address here now is, is how we are to live a holy life. So how do we live a holy life? So once again, I want to just stress that, that works, works don't save you, right? If we follow the law perfectly, the, the law itself doesn't save us. So that's not what I'm saying. That's not what this passage is saying, and I think, of course, James 
The Lord's brother said it perfectly in his epistle, faith without works is dead, right? There's, there's a two-part to that. And, and so actions and works, are, those are results of our faith. Those are the things that that's, it's produced from our faith. It's, it's a product of our faith. So this set of commandments that we're going to get to here shortly helps us to understand the heart of the Lord. It helps us to understand his heart and what his desire is for us and what he had determined that will make his people different than everybody else. So the first thing we see here is in chapter 19, and that's to consecrate yourself. We need to consecrate ourselves. Now, this idea of consecration um, is, is, is about preparing yourself for worship. It's about dedicating yourself to God. So in the case that we see here in verses 14 and 15, they were to, to cleanse their clothing, right? They're not like you and I where we can throw a load in the washer or we can go to the closet and pick out a new outfit. You know, they wore these frequently, so they had to make sure that they were clean. Verse 10 said that they had to do this so they were ready. So they were ready to be in the Lord's presence. So think about that, uh, and we also see in verses 14 and 15 that not only they were to cleanse themselves and their, their, their clothing, but they were also to refrain from any sexual activity. So what does that mean for you and I today? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand unless you want to, prayed before you showed up to church this morning? How many of you pray frequently and regularly and each time when you're, when you're opening up the word of God? Hopefully everybody here does that. Are you confessing your sin before you come to worship in his presence with the people of God around you? Are you presenting yourself before God as renewed because you've confessed with your mouth your sin? These are things that we should be doing and putting into our lives on a regular basis, myself included. And that's going to help us to consecrate ourselves and be ready to be in his presence so we can worship him in spirit and truth. Think about this uh, in another direction, right? Think about getting ready for a meal, right? If I'm getting ready for a meal, I, I want to I identify what the ingredients are. I want to go buy those ingredients. I'm going to prepare those ingredients. I'm going to cook those ingredients. I'm going to set the table, and then I'm going to sit down and eat it and probably go back for seconds because I'm known for that. But before this meal, I have to do all these things. I can't just sit at the table and expect it to be there, Right? Same thing for our worship when we're approaching the Lord. We have to make sure we're preparing ourselves for worship. We just can't go before the throne and we're filthy and we're, we have unconfessed sin and we have unconfessed act, you know, thoughts in our minds and assume that we can worship him in spirit and truth. So we need to make sure we're ready for worship just as much. And then once we're ready for worship, we can receive his word probably a lot more clearer than we would previously and, and otherwise. So this kind of leads us to the next couple of things, and this is going to be the meat, so to speak, of our, of, our, of our time this morning and of our text today, and these are all wrapped up in these Ten Commandments. And we're using uh, the, the two simple ways of looking at these. So the first thing we see here is that we are to love God. So again, these are actions that we do to help us to be holy before him, is, is to love God. So these Ten Commandments are relational, and that's what we're going to see in the next two points here. It's relational. So the first four commandments is how we relate to God, and then the next six commandments is how we relate to others, and that's what we'll see here. So I want to kind of read the first four, um, starting in chapter 20, verse 2. 
says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven image or no image, a carved image or a likeness of anything that's in heaven above, that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who will love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall do, no, do not any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner is who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we saw that qualifier earlier, didn't we? Or I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. And that's one of those qualifiers to, to what he's asking the people here to do. And this is what he expects in return, not because it would save them, but out of a response for what he has already done. It's, it's a reverence, it's a respect, it's honoring him, and that's what he's doing here. So let's quickly go through these uh, commandments. I'll, I'll throw it here on the, on the screen so you can kind of see them as we go. So the first one here, just I want to kind of remember the context. God just rescued these people out of Egypt, a, 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 you know, a, a land and a place and a people who had many, many, many gods, right? So because of this, his people needed to be set apart and not mirror what they saw in Egypt and what they lived in for 400 years as a generation. So the, they, it's God saying, no, there's one God. I am he. You need to worship me and me only, unlike the Egyptians, unlike these other nations that you will face as well. So he commands that no other gods can be before him. And that, that term before him, it means like in, in his face, before him, before his face. So, we, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're putting these other gods before me. And along the same lines, he talks about idolatry, that second commandment. Idolatry was a characteristic of pagan nations and, 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 these, and their people. One, one commentator put it this way, he says, an idol is anything that takes place of, a God, of God, anything to which we devote our energy and time, or for which sacrifices are made because we love it and serve it. That definition probably pierces each and every one of us. Because thinking about our hobbies, thinking about our families, our careers, the things that we enjoy to do, right? How many of us can say that, you know what, uh, anything that we devote our energy and time, oh, Right? Anything that we make sacrifices for because we love and serve it for? Right? So in our culture today, more than likely, you don't have a carved image anywhere. Especially this group here, right? More than likely, you don't have a carved image. So really, our idols are those things, which again could be wrapped up in our careers and our hobbies and other things that we enjoy to do. So we need to be careful about those things. Are we putting those things above God? Are we sacrificing these things above God? Are we making sacrifices in our lives above God? Third commandment is, is not to take the name of the Lord in vain. I think in our mo modern tradition, it basically means, hey, don't, don't use God or Jesus as a cuss word. That's the modern traditional view of this, but it really does go deeper than that. 
It goes deeper than that because what we can look at that, it obviously includes that because the name of, the, of God is holy. It includes that, but it's not wrapped up particularly there. So in addition to using God and Jesus as a cuss word, it could also mean that we're dishonoring his name through our actions. Right? You know, you, you see somebody on the freeway and they say honk if you love Jesus and you honk at them when they give you the bird. Right? I'm like, well, I'm just telling you I love Jesus, right? That, that's, that's defaming the name of God in a way, right? Defaming his name through our actions. Maybe we're publicly confessing God as, and, and Jesus as Lord, but in private, we're dishonoring him with our actions. Those are ways that we can take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth commandment has, has to do with honoring the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath literally means rest, or as we saw in the text, it basically means to stop working, right? When God was done, he stopped, he rested, and it's all rooted in creation, as we saw. Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, you who are weak and weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, right? Jesus said he will give you rest. You know, the writer of Hebrews says that we're to enter into his rest, Paul in, in Colossians 2 says that, we, that the Sabbath was a shadow of Jesus. So even though the Sabbath is not something that we, quote unquote, follow today, the principles are fantastic and the principles are there. And we see here that, that today we're invited to enjoy in Jesus as that rest. Jesus is the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's a day that we can set aside to enjoy him, to enjoy his creation, and to enjoy the presence of God with others. So those are the first four commandments. That's how we relate to God and how we can honor God there. Um, so now we want to take a look at the next six, and this is how we can answer that question uh, of how we are to live a, a holy life in relation to others. And, of course, that next point would be this, that we love others, that we love others. So the second set, as we stated, is how we relate to one another. Um, for the sake of time, we're not going to go through all of them, but for that audience at the time, what we see there is, is that, that they were to relate to one another in that, that context of the covenant people, right? So this is God's way of saying this is how you are to, to be with one another, and what we see if we read the New Testament in, in context of this as well, looking at the whole scriptures, we see in Galatians 3 that, that Paul is teaching us that we were kind of adopted into Abraham's seed. We, were, we have become part of, of Abraham and, and adopted as his sons. And, and what we see there so we can see clearly that these six relational commandments are definitely included and we're included in that. So the fifth commandment there is, is honoring your father and mother. We need to honor our father and mother. This is addressed in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul uses this and quotes this, and he makes point to say there's a promise attached to this commandment. And, it's, you know, and he uses this as a gateway to how we are relate to one another within the context of church. So Paul's addressing that right there. And what's really interesting, you'll notice that, you know, that there's, there's context, obviously, of honoring and respecting one another all throughout these six. But Paul here, and, and what we see here in these commandments through, through Moses, is that it starts in the home. How we relate to one another outside of the home begins in the home. 
If we're disrespectful to our parents, that means they're going to be disrespectful to your teachers, to, you know, personnel and, 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 you know, police personnel and any person of authority. You're going to have that same mentality against them. So it begins in the home. The next couple are stated without any context, right? It's just a short list. The first one is don't murder. Some translations, some of the older translations will have like don't kill. But this term specifically speaks about the unlawful taking of an innocent life. And that's why the modern translations will use murder versus kill. Because you'll see in, in throughout the scriptures that there are different rules for manslaughter, self-defense, etc. The next one is do not commit adultery. When Jesus directly uh, spoke about this commandment, he takes it a step further and says, if I look at a woman, if you look at a woman or a man or somebody else with lust in your eyes, you have committed adultery. So he's, he's taking it an act further than that. Um, that act specifically does speak to the act of any relations with someone other than your spouse. So adultery is used, and it's interesting, adultery itself is used as a picture in the book of Hosea. And it's used as kind of a parallel to the act of idolatry and having other gods before him. So it's closely related to those first two commandments. The next one there is don't steal. Right? If we're talking about this idea of respecting one another and, and how to relate with one another, this is a very simple and understandable commandment. It really deals with respecting one another and their property. Don't bear false witness is the next one against your neighbor. Most of this, you know, when I was little, before I even knew anything about the Bible, you know, this was always do not lie. This was always do not lie. And that's how it's usually summarized. Um, and this is actually a legal term. This is a legal term that's used. It's closely related to this idea of gossip and slander, uh, making up a story about somebody else, right? Bending the truth to make them look bad, right? Damaging their character, damaging their reputation. So that's kind of what this, this whole idea of bearing false witness against your neighbors talking about. And then finally, we get to don't covet. Don't do not covet. And this idea of covet, he, he lists a whole lot of stuff in that one. He says, don't covet your neighbor, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's cattle, this, that. He, he gives us a lot of context. Um, but similar to what we saw in, in the Eighth Commandment, do not steal, is what we see here. It's all about the heart, right? And just like adultery, you know, if we see and we want something and we desire something that belongs to another, God's saying that's a sin. He's saying that's sinful behavior and attitude. It shows that we're not content with what God is and has already provided for us and what he has in mind and in store for us. So that's a quick run through of those Ten Commandments, and we see that. So we've seen this morning that, that because God is holy, we are also to be holy. And we saw that these, these laws were given in order to set the standard for his covenant people. And we've seen that, that we are to consecrate ourselves before him. We are to love God and we are to love others. And that's what we see in these two chapters. And, and we do that so we can be a people that is set apart. People should look at us and understand and see that we are his children because of how we relate to God and how we relate to others. So it's very clear also in the New Testament that we're no longer under the law. And this is where a lot of people struggle. The New Testament says we're not under the law, but we're under the law of grace. 
And, and because of that, so when we read, and we read elsewhere that we're no longer under the old covenant, but we're under the new covenant. We read that, that the purpose of the law was to reveal our sin. But I think what we need to do is we have to look at this set of laws, and we have to look at the law as a whole in the same way Jesus did. And we have to look in the same way that Jesus did and the early church leaders did. If you think about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses a lot of these. And he speaks directly to these couple examples is, of course, murder like we saw. We saw that he talks about adultery and honoring God's name. Later in Matthew 22, he says he, he combined all of these into two things. Loving your God and loving your neighbor. And in verse 40 of chapter 22 in Matthew, he says this. He says, on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So Jesus affirms all of these things as still relevant for us today. Paul in Romans chapter 7 verse 12 says this. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So Paul is affirming the relevancy. And then in, in John in his epistle Chapter 5, verse 21, he closes that first letter with these words, little children, keep yourself from idols. Right? So I think it's very clear there are several examples of the law being affirmed, taught, and enforced even in the New Testament. So I think it's really relevant for us today like we stated earlier. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, I want to challenge you with something this week. And I want to do this together as a group, so hopefully we can, we can do this together over the course of this week. But what I want to do is I want to ask you something. I want to ask you to, to, to pray over these Ten Commandments this week. Pray these Ten Commandments in your life this week. And I think what we can do is, is we, when we do that, we can ask God to do several things. And these are just three examples. One, we can ask him, are there any idols in my life, God? Reveal to me any idols that I have in my life that are separating my relationship with you. Ask him to lead you to live a life that is holy and honoring to him. And then, and then ask him to exalt the name of Jesus in your life so others may know him too. And I'm sure there's other things that we can pray over, but these are just a few examples. So that's what I want to close with today is, is pray over these commandments this week. And how can we use these to become a holy people who are set apart for God? And that, that people see us and know that we're different. And that might even ask, you know, prompt them to come to you and say, why are you so different? And then we can share the good news of Jesus with them. So I ask you, will you join me in doing that this week? Let's pray. Father, this is a, it, it's challenging to kind of read through these and, and understand how they, how they apply to us today. And so I just pray, Father, that you speak to our hearts now and help us to, to understand these things and to, to apply them to our lives. And as we look at each of these, I, I hope that we can see that they're very, very relevant and very much needed in our lives today, particularly when we look at the, the, our country and we look at the state of our nation and we look at, at how people act and how people respond and, and, and the, the disunity that we see. God, I know that if we follow these things, if we do these things, then you will be glorified. And that's, that's my desire, Father, that we, we set the example as people, as children of God, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, that we can follow that example and live holy lives that are pleasing to you and that, that reach others for your kingdom. 
Because we don't, we don't know when you're coming back, God, but we can affirm and we, under, we believe that you are returning. And we want to make sure that we're doing our part while we're representatives of you here, that we can reach others for your kingdom and for your glory and your honor. And we ask those things in Jesus' name.